Hello, welcome to Talking Spirits podcast, episode number four. My guest today is the communication and advertising expert, music lover and part-time bassist Martina Schiffer-Gottfried. I met Martina in my hometown Wuppertal, Germany, a couple of years ago when she was just starting to play bass and we became friends pretty quickly. The conversation you're about to listen to was recorded on April 19th, 2020 and we are discussing Martina's multicultural upbringing, advertising nowadays, Martina's love towards music and the bass, the importance of networking, life-changing events and many more interesting topics. Talking to Martina was a real pleasure. We really enjoyed this very insightful conversation and we are wishing you a great stay at Talking Spirits Podcast, episode number four. Hi, Martina. Welcome to the Talking Spirits Podcast. I'm very glad that you are taking the time to be my guest today. Hi, Armin. Thank you very much for having me. I feel very honored to be on the show with you. You grew up in Germany. And you were born, if I'm informed correctly, to a German father and your mother is from Trinidad and Tobago. Did this fact have any influence on your upbringing? And uh, how would you describe your connection to the Trinidadian culture and uh, way of life? Man, the first question is already a big one. <laughs> There is so much to say about that. Uh, first off, I, uh, I have to say the information you have is correct. My father is German. My mother is from Trinidad and Tobago. She was over here um, uh, to like, get an apprenticeship done uh, and met my father over here. And uh, they met, married, and um, got me and my sister. Um, and I think it, it, I myself, I identify very much as German. Like I often say, I'm German. Like all the aspects in life you can have, like to be on time and to be kind of tidy and all these like positive German aspects, I try to acquire them and say these are um, i identify with them but um the trinidadian culture is also within me when it comes to more soft factors in in life like having fun or partying or all these uh, softer factors or and also like the um they like say in inheriting like a big family because my family is huge in trinidad and tobago i would say the more softer parts and family aspects i i feel very connected to the trinidadian Of culture, although I have to say I have not been over there in probably like 13 years. I used to travel there quite often and I stay in contact with the family over WhatsApp and video calls and just like chatting with them. So I feel connected, but I'm not really over there. I haven't been there. Can you say why you didn't go for such a long time? Um, I think at the beginning it was just because I picked up a job. And the job was very demanding or still is very demanding. And there was not time to travel at all. And the one or two weeks I, I actually made holidays in the in the year. I wanted to have like total silence and peace and not talk to anybody. So I deliberately chose a holiday where there was no internet and nothing. So I could just like be on the beach and read like 15 books or something and just be okay with that. Um, and then like when I traveled again, like to really travel, travel, I, I discovered the States for me, like the United States. And I, I just like to travel over there and I made the choice to go there and not visit my family. Actually, it's a, it's not a shame, but I, I, I do miss it, but you just need more time to go over there. You have so much family and it's like, I'm talking about hundreds of people. 
Like if you go over there, you have to meet people, eat people. You know how it is in other cultures. Like you have to eat four or five times a day because everybody prepared a special dish for you. Everybody is so happy to have you. And it's just like, it's. I don't want to say it's exhausting. It's beautifully exhausting. But at the same time, you need like three or four weeks to really be there in order to be okay and also feel relaxed. Two weeks will not do the trick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can relate to this from uh, my experiences in, in Bosnia when I go. You cannot name it a vacation because for <laughs> the exact reason which you described, you want to see everybody and then you need to take time and, and also be, uh, yeah, eat a lot <laughs> too. Yeah, eat a lot. <laughs> Basically, to sum it up, you still have a connection. Yes. And uh, in terms of the way of life, you are combining both sides and, and combining the best aspects of both. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you are the executive manager of the prestigious German advertising and communication agency, Boros. Can you please share insights into the path which led you to this position and also into the agency itself and your work there? Oh, of course I can. And it will probably be a little bit different than everybody expects. So when you ask me about my path, like how I got that job, is is it's a very funny story and I like to tell it. What happened is uh, I was studying um, economics at a private university not far away from Wuppertal, like where we both live. And um, uh, I was studying there with a friend of mine, Samira. She has another friend who wanted to study um, human like medicine, like for humans, uh, like not for animals. And you can study that in the same university. So I'm like, okay. Um, she wanted some information. I was like, man, I, I could just like host dinner for you and have like a professor and some students over. And you just get an insight into how... Uh, life in our uni is because it's very different from a, like a normal university. It's, it's like, it's a very close shop. People are very special because the type of people that are elected to be within the uni are, I would say everybody of us has like a light twitch in their brain. So it, it, I just wanted her to experience that. And so I hosted a dinner because that is what I often did. Like people would come to my house and it was always an open house. So we did that. And on the way back uh, home to Wuppertal, uh, where she and her friend and our friend Samira um, went back home, they made the decision that I would be the perfect uh, executive manager for this company because she actually was in that position before, was trying to leave the company to study, and she was looking for somebody else to have the job. So they called me the next day and they were like, man, this was a beautiful night. Like, uh, thank you for hosting the dinner. I really have some great insight. I'm really going to apply for the university. And I want to tell you, I think you should be uh, the next manager of this company. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Uh, I'm like, nah, is I, I'm, I'm not qualified probably because I was in the midst of my uni. Uh, before that, I had done an apprenticeship in a bank. And I didn't really have any connection points with um, with advertising as such. I studied um, with the focus on strategic marketing, though. But I was like, I'm not qualified for this position. But she kept on bugging me. And at the same time, to be honest, my parents uh, kept on bugging me. And my parents were just like, um, they were like, man, why don't you get a job? Like, we don't want to finance you furthermore. Like, just get a job and and, and be self self-sufficient. And then it was more like a... Yeah, like a reaction to say, you know what, like these people are offering me a job. My parents want me to get on my own feet. Um, fuck it, I'm just going to take that job. And what we're doing, like the job I um, I signed up for like then is um, they, they had, there was two companies and the one was just like for digital marketing, websites, um, online solutions. And I became executive manager of that part. 
uh, and now in the meanwhile, I'm executive manager of the entire company because the two uh, companies fusioned into one. And what I do is basically like just like lead the company, um, create strategies and communication solutions for our clients. Um, I work with my employees and um, help them create uh, the content, create offers, create solutions for our clients. That is what I do. It's just very demanding because it's advertising and uh, it's always the client first. <laughs> we we work we work very hard to make that happen. If we talk about advertising in general, from your perspective, how would you describe the way advertising works nowadays? And also, what's your take on how it has changed over, let's say, the last two decades? Or mm -hmm. if I put it more precisely, like what what are the factors which define good and effective advertising and differ it from a poor one? Okay. Oh, you have very complex questions, um, but good questions. <laughs> uh, I have to say, first off, I always say advertising agency, but de facto, we are not really advertising agency. Advertising agency really sells products to people. That's how I define advertising agency. And we don't sell dog food or washing powder or chocolate bars. Like normally we don't do this. Like there are some cases in which we do that, but uh, on the regular, this is not our typical job. Our typical job is to do branding and corporate communications. This means we create brands like from the logo, from the setup, the strategy, everything, and develop how it looks uh, on the outside, like the entire looks, how the corporate design is, and how it is delivered to uh, the customers or whoever the customers is, whether it's B2C or, it's, uh, I don't know, B2B. Um, so we create, um, I don't know, the websites, we create the flyers, we, we create, create everything that somebody can be in contact um, with. So th this is what we normally do. And I think what has um, changed a lot, and we see this last year and this year, especially like very much is people are craving to find a value in something. So in former times, you wanted to sell a product and this product is cheap. You would just argument with the attributes of the product. So it's the price or it's the looks or it's the, the benefits, so to say. And nowadays, people want to buy something that has a meaning or a value. They want to understand what you stand for as a company. It's not with every product, but that is like where the big companies go and what they understood. Some companies have understood this earlier, like Starbucks, for example. They have already understood this, like uh, I would say, 20 years ago to have values that you stand for as a, as a company and represent these values in every communication with every uh, client that you have. And now like the, the trending issue is the purpose, like the why, why is the company doing it? What is your purpose? That is what we're actually working on at the moment with three different companies to develop that because most companies have them within them, but they just don't know uh, what it is. The same way a person has to know like what they're doing and why they're doing something and what their purpose is in life, where you want to achieve that. At least I would want to achieve that. And a lot of people have achieved that. Companies do want to do the same thing. And it's hard to grasp for yourself. And the same way it's hard to grasp for a company, what is it really that makes me me and what is my purpose in this uh, world that we're living in? And we try to help them and find it and express it uh, afterwards. I mean, so everybody will have their own take on what is what is poor advertising and what is good advertising. Um, but I think what is important to us is that we have the depth and the insight of understanding what our client, which normally is a company, um, has as a product and what they want to provide to their 
clients and understanding, like really understanding what their market is about, who they are targeting, just like getting into it. And this is like the first step of, of deferring what we do from others because um, some advertising agencies, they don't even think about that. Like they just, somebody comes and say, I want a flyer to say, okay, like oh, what should be on it? Like they ask the, the client what to put on it. And it's more like a graphic designer situation. Like the client says, okay, I want a flyer with the logo and my four different products, which might be shoes, for example. And then the graphic designer will just put it on there. I'm not bashing graphic designers just per se, but like some people just execute what, what, what are, they are told and that is their role. But this is not how we do it. And what we um, very much go by is um, a quote by Jenny Holzer, which says, protect me from what I want. So the client can come and he can say what, what he wants to um, express or what he wants to have, but we will always have to fact check that and see if it fits with where he wants to go. So for us, it's, it's more um, important to understand what is his market? What does he want to achieve? And then make an, uh, create an idea about what the way could be instead of, letting somebody come and say, I want a way, which is like the flyer is the way or the website is the way. And it doesn't always, um, it doesn't always fit. But that is, I think, where when communication is just not really focused on who they want to target, it's just out there to shout very loud because you don't want to be out in the world and just screaming at everybody. You want to have conversations with people. Just like we have a conversation and this is what the brand should do to the brand and every um Everything that comes from the brand should have a conversation with the target group, which is their clients again. And that is what we're trying to, to do. And this is what my philosophy is on, on doing marketing in general. You have a profound love towards music and you also play bass. What does music mean to you? And how would you describe your fascination with the bass? Music means everything to me. <laughs> and I'm very happy I found music in my life. Um, is I, I think you just said it, I played bass. I started about four years ago by accident, so to say. Uh, this is a long story by itself, which is also very entertaining, but it just found me. I can just say it, the instrument found me and then um, it kind of rescued me. It, I, I spent time with the instrument and I, and I fell in love with playing with the sound of the bass and playing it, although I, I really played crappy and shitty then and, and still I'm not an expert <laughs> at anything. I'm, I'm still trying to learn my instrument, but it just gave me so much joy to see how I progress with the instrument and the sounds I could create and like to be able to interact with people and people would teach me. You also taught me. Uh, some 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 things and it's just the connections that you have with people through the instrument it's not only like having the instrument and playing on it yourself but like having the connections with people and um, interacting with them and it has brought me so many places to just be uh, in and around music because it's not only the fascination for the bass like I'm traveling for music mainly like 90% of my travels is for music. I would go to places where there are festivals uh, within Europe or the States. I would go to places where I would find other people playing musicians or when they come over, I meet them. Um, I will, um, I created this, or I'm not created, but we founded this jazz club in Wuppertal, um, which is called the Jazz Club, um, because I just, I, I was, I felt I wanted to, I wanted to just be around music all the time because it made me feel so happy. And that's, I, I took like every measure I could to just, to just do that. You're an excellent networker. And in my opinion, this is a very special trait of, of a character. What can you say about it from your perspective? Mm -hmm. I can say 
um, I'm probably to my job, I'm a professional communicator. That is one side of me being able to network because my job is just about communicating all the time. But the other aspect that is there and that is the, the foundation of everything is I'm just a very curious person, not in the bad way that I want to know what was happening with you, but I'm just very interested in humans in people. I want to know what they do. I want to know uh, what they are about. I want to know what their challenges are, what their struggles are. And I'm always trying, my brain is always trying like to provide a solution or to help people and to, um, I don't know, show them the way, so to say, uh, not in a not in an obsessive manner, so to say, so to say, but like if if somebody comes across, we will have a natural conversation. I will be interested in you, and it will be very genuine. And people feel that I come from a very general place when I when I speak with them. I have no interest, no shares, and I don't want nothing from them. I have, normally don't have anything like I want to give to them. I just want to know where they're at and be communicating with them. And I think that is a, a rare thing nowadays, and that's why people feel so. They feel so connected to me often because that's what they tell me. I feel so connected to you because I'm really listening without um, having an agenda, so to say. I'm not a family member. I'm not a spouse. I'm not a boss. I'm not anything. I'm just like a neutral ground. And you can open up. And a lot of people do that. They just open up very also about like very intimate um, things. And I mean intimate, not in a sexual way, but like in a, in a personal life, like where your soul is at. Uh, to me because they feel they can trust me uh, with this and they can trust me with this and I will respond to it and not try to overrule them or tell them what to do like in that way but like find a solution with them if they have a problem or just like encourage them and I think that is what makes my connections with people even if I have just met them once very um, yeah very strong and it has not always been like that because I had been in my own ways I have to say like um going through this entire thing with my um with my ex-husband like um, separating from him from him it just made me look at myself in a different way and it created a lot of space for being what i am right now which had not been there before i was occupied with a lot of things that kept me away from being who i really wanted to be and now uh, like after i separated it just felt like there was space for for myself to grow into that and there was space to be connected with other people uh, in that realm. Not that he took, like, not that he kept me away from doing it, but just I didn't see myself that way. Like him not being there just put me in the space to see myself that way and to develop into that direction. Why often I say like, it's, it's like I'm kind of like a bridge because I, I sense when people want to be like. I crossed the bridge. I crossed the bridge, not like in life, but like just cross from one state to another state or from one mindset to another state. I sense it and then I communicate with them. And then they sense that they have somebody, they can converse about it. And that's how we get hooked and I have a strong connection. And this doesn't mean that these connections will last forever. Like some people come and then they go. But the purpose was that you have just like shared a certain path of life with each other. There's no, no hard feelings. It, it just is that way. And that is how I, I see um, the connections I make. Not, not everybody is supposed to stay in your life forever, but you can make an impact in people's life, even though they're not in your life no more. And also the other way around, yeah. Music as an art form on one hand and business on the other hand seems to be a huge contradiction in terms of the many musicians having to deal with so many things which have nothing to do with the process 
of creating art. It seems to be very difficult for many of us. Mm -hmm. How do you perceive this problem? Mm -hmm. And uh, have you ever thought about combining your advertising expertise and business skills with your passion towards music? Mm -hmm. um, I think in general, like to, to answer the first part is, I see the struggle in a lot of people that they want to, like they are musicians, they're very creative and they have this side in them that just wants to create, create, create and put stuff out there and connect with people. But often on the other side is is not equipped, I want to say, to do business or to monetize what they're doing. And this can be, um, the source of this could be like personality um, attributes that just like keep you away from wanting or demanding stuff or making contracts. And sometimes it's just the knowledge side um, of it. So I, I feel like there, there, can, there is a lot of enabling which can still be done to help musicians um, like get their rights and get the money and, and, and everything that they deserve for the great work they're doing. Um, that is, that is like the, the one side of it. I'm, I'm not, there's people that are really professional uh, business people in music. Like we have music industry, you have music business, and there's a lot of people that are just like professional, like ma like managers and they, they just do it. But sometimes it's for the price of hurting the souls of the, Musicians, I want to say, who create the music, and it's the—I won't say the wrong people, but it's like other people getting the money than the people that create actually. And I think it's a very unfair. The market is very unfair. Like even if you look at the streaming revenues, uh, what you get, like it's—and I, I like actually that people are trying to, or musicians trying to find other ways to bring their music um, across to the people to have more. Uh, from it like to just gain more for the work and the passion and the lifetime they put into it because you should not forget that most musicians you know it they just spend their entire life building their craft and every every single output they create is just there because they have spent years and de decades in building their craft and that is why they can do it but sometimes the the money they get for that is very short and it makes me feel very sad because some people just cannot do what they love the most and what they actually have a calling for because of monetary issues and that it hurts my soul i really have to say it hurts my soul because i have a lot of friends that are in this position and i always trying to think like how can i help them and i try to help them like in small measures like on the private side with like some advertising or if they need like a cv or if they need somebody to talk with the endorsement Uh, company like I would do tiny stuff for them and I have actually thought about like um, co combining it like to, to make it a career but I've just not found <laughs> the right way to do it there's a lot of money to be made in uh, advertising for music I would say like, if you want to advertise the big albums and do video shoots and all of that but that is not what I am really about like where the money is there's not where I am about I'm more with the musicians I'm with the Not even the artists. Like I'm <laughs> with the musicians, those that do the footwork, uh, and I, I like, I would like to do something that is more beneficial for them because the big ones are getting money anyways. I just try to, at least if I'm not partaking, that give my insights and my input, and try to create better conditions uh, and everything that is good for this uh, group of people, not for those that have money anyways. It has changed in so many ways. Let's say in the 70s, it was really the music what, what was counting. In the 80s, with the rise of MTV, when they mm -hmm. started shooting music videos, the visual aspect became much more prevalent. From that point on, it was not only about what you can listen to, but it mm -hmm. was 
very much so about what you can see. That was something which changed a lot of things for musicians. And then, of course, the, the rise of the internet and, and modern technology also changed lots of things. And there are lots of challenges. And also what you said about the music business, and especially about people who are active in the music business, you have people deciding about art and music who have no sense for it, who, who just mm -hmm. look at it from an economic standpoint. But I think that is the beautiful thing you mentioned before with the internet being uh, like uh, a factor. I think it's beautiful how uh, social media and everything just gives everybody a platform to make it by themselves and not having to rely on a major label. So I think the liberation of this has just changed a lot for uh, labels being, I would say, like very proud uh, back in the days, very self-confident and saying, okay, we have the money and we can just pick and choose who we want and who will just like do what we tell them to do. I want to say, I'm not saying every artist is like that, but like labels had a lot of saying in how the representation is and you would find a lot of biographies of artists and they would say, yeah, I was this and this way, but the label said I had to change and to become this and this. So I had to cut my hair, I had to lose my weight, I had to write songs about this topic, I was not allowed to, to talk about that topic, I had to put in these words, like, and it's like, they have really been messing with what the artist was really about. I'm not saying that this is um, only bad, like, because sometimes the artist is probably just like a raw diamond, it's not like really at the peak point and the, uh, I say the facilities and the, the things the label can provide will put you to like put you on a different level like also in a positive way but there's a lot of negative aspects and i've just been talking with somebody yesterday about how internet famous people uh, they just do everything and they understand like the new kids on the blog so to say they understand that they can do everything themselves they can do their own videos they can cut them themselves because we have the technology nowadays like we can use uh, photoshop to retouch we can use video leap to, like we can use all these things and and do this ourselves you can make your own following create your own following on instagram and facebook and tiktok whatever it is and have like a million fans and not even being signed to a label and have the entire chain of the process is is like your chain and it's not the label because the label would normally take away the money for the video shoot would take away the money for uh, the pr would take away all these like you feel like you have a big cake but they take away a lot of it uh, in order like to give you the distribution that's what they sell you but nowadays you can just do all this yourself like if you put in the footwork and i think that is a beautiful thing You also mentioned already that you love to travel. So can you please talk about what traveling means to you and uh, if and how it has changed your perspective of the world? Travel is the most important thing at all. I can say this. I have grown up with parents not traveling on a regular, but like every year we would, we would travel once or twice. So mostly with the Caribbean to see my family, but it would also be like Europe because in Europe it's, it's pretty, everything is pretty close. And I have to say a lot of my understanding and of my openness towards people comes from traveling because I have just seen people in so many different countries in different states and cultures that I have no fear of the, the foreign, so to say. I'm not afraid of foreign cultures or foreign food or foreign places because I have experienced a lot of time that everything is all right. There are humans too and everything is cool and you can just like win from being um, exchanging with them. And what I do now, as I said uh, earlier, I'm, I'm just traveling mostly for music, uh, for music or for love. This is what I travel for. So um, I'm, 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 
I just like to go up to place, not to see a certain building that is there or to see a certain forest or the biggest tree. I travel to places because I love the culture and because I love the people. So I travel, for example, to Los Angeles because I love the music scene there. I'm not traveling there to see the Hollywood sign or to see Malibu Beach or to see uh, other landmarks there. are. I travel there to go to the clubs where they play live music, where I get my jazz and my acid and my, my, my stuff in that I want and, and just connect with the people. And that is what I'm basically doing all the time. So my traveling approach is probably a little different from other people's travel approach, but it helps me to... Yeah, to just feel as a citizen of the world and not as a citizen of the space I'm actually in. I feel like I'm I'm from this planet and not from this particular country. I don't know you because you. It's, I think for us as people who have a, a, a like a heritage, like a mixed heritage, or come from different cultures, also like we are already open, more open than people that are just like just from one country, because we have been in contact with culture and the culture clashed growing up knowing things are very different in Germany than they are somewhere else, like even with food or clothing or language, um, we have already overcome a lot of barriers. Um, and traveling more just makes you see that there really is no real barrier if you are a human and you just want to communicate with other humans. Then there is no barrier because even if you don't speak the same language, you will get along uh, if you don't fear it and you just do it. You mentioned uh, the uh, music scene of Los Angeles. What is it that makes it so special to you? I have to say, I'm, I'm like when I talk about the music scene in Los Angeles, it's a specific scene I talk about. Like, it's I'm not with the punk rock, or I'm not with the uh, pro progressive rock, or the classic music. I'm very much like with the jazz heads, and as I said, like the funk and the, the acid, like this this type of realm. And I just like how openly these people welcomed me because um the first time i went there i i that was just total craziness i i just started playing the bass um i was four weeks into playing the bass and um i wanted to go to los angeles just because i i, I hadn't been there and i had been there when i was about 19 20 just for five days and did all the landmarks all the tourist shit and um i wanted to go there um Yeah, mainly also because of music, or just to explore it or like to, to be in the States, because I always felt very drawn to the States, but I have never really traveled to travel to the States. And then when I when I got to Los Angeles, everybody had like a total open arms for me, no prejudices. I, I wanted to have bass lessons. They just in the evening they called me, they said, Hey, what are you doing? Like come to this in this club. And I found out that Los Angeles actually in this particular scene is like a village. It's a very close shop of several hundred people and they just meet in different days in different places. And um, it's just nice. It's like a family. And I think that is what is so intriguing to me. It feels like a family of people that do a certain type of music, all of which uh, these musicians are touring worldwide with the biggest acts you might know. But when they're home, they play their local gigs and they play music on a very high and excellent level. And I just enjoy listening to it. It's It's like, it's very... It's very good for my heart and for my brain to listen to this music and to just be connected with these people. Are there places where you would love to go where you not have been before? Oh, there are so many. There are so many. For example, I've always wanted to go to Japan. I've never been to Japan, like, but with Fukushima, I'm kind of like distancing myself from it. But it's surely a culture. And again, it's about the culture 
um, I would like to experience because it's, it's the furthest away I can imagine from the rest, like what we are doing. And I wanted to go to um, South America, like Peru or Mexico. I've never been to one of like all these um, antique cultures, like Aztec cultures. I would really love to go there. And very intriguing because I also have never been there is anything that is up in the north, like um, Greenland, Alaska or Canada. I even have family in Canada. But that is like the third part. I think the Asian culture, like especially, especially Japan, the South American culture and um, the, the North. Africa, I have, I have been there. Um, and it's, it would probably be very nice to go there. But I feel like you would really have to spend a lot of time because Africa has so many different countries and nations. And um, that would, something, it would be something I would do if I know I had like three or four months time. I wish that... Everybody was would be able to travel to countries and different cultures because uh, I think once you do it, there's no way of escaping the insights and change of perception and perspectives. I think there would be lesser problems in the world if people would just be able to travel. So I think what you wish is something I would wish for too. If everybody was just able to visit a different culture once a year or once every two years, by the age of 20 or 22, one like when you are a grown up you would not have all these fears and and be um full of prejudice about other cultures you would just see the beauty of what it is just to experience people from other cultures and how they are to you and there will be less uh, i think wars and and uh, all these things because there is just more understanding and i think that is what we have to come to like the understanding for everyone being part of um humankind on this planet And it just seems like we're not the same because we are in these um, boxes that are called countries and in these boxes that are called uh, nations or continents. But in really and truly, we are just all the same, just in different versions. And that is something that has to be understood. One and a half years ago, during uh, one of your travels, I think it was in London, you were involved in a traffic accident. Would you be willing to share with us what happened and also what effects it did have on your life. I was once again traveling for music. Um, friends from Incognito invited me over to London. So I went there and um, actually had one of the best days in ages. That day that this accident happened was, it was the first day I would say easily in five or six months and the best day and i thought man this is such a beautiful day because i went to gig with them uh we were invited like to um their friend's house like privately uh we cooked together we sang together made acoustic music listened to whatever and then it, it was time like how did we get home every how does everybody get home and because it was already late like uh, one friend was like man we could just take uh, let's take an uber let's take a cab um And um, and uh, instead of going with the uh, with the underground, because it's already late, it was like six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning, and then my my flight was at twelve, and so we were just trying to find like more space to to um, <laughs> like uh, for me to pack the suitcase and everything. Okay, so um, we sat in the car, everything was cool. The cab is kind of like small, and I'm 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 sitting in there, kind of crunched up, and out of a sudden, the car got hit by other car that ran over a red light. Um, and I, I had like a minor blackout, uh, that second, um, by the time I, I got back into it, like they had already been arguing on, on the street, like a friend in the cab was already outside exchanging information. And he's just like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. 
like, okay, are you sure? Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. I felt okay. Um, we were, we took the underground um, to get to our destinations. And the next morning, actually, um, I didn't really feel anything. Like my shoulder hurt a little bit. Uh, I packed my suitcase. I, I went to uh, went to the airport. Uh, felt a little strange, but I was like, just because he didn't sleep. And then um, things just started getting weird. That was a Sunday. I had a very big presentation on the Wednesday, and I just had wanted to like fight through the week to just make that because it was a huge, huge pitch we were, were doing. Uh, I did the pitch, and after the pitch, six o'clock in the evening, I felt like all the energy was like it just was gone out of me. I, I told my colleagues, "Man, can you just drop me off home? I'm, I have to go straight to bed." It was six o'clock in the evening. Normally, I would have gone back to the company and worked a little, but um, I was just. I, I went home. I slept. The next morning, I woke up. I'm like, "Wow, things are really." strange i don't feel well i don't feel well so then i went to the company and then my employees or my colleagues they said man um you should go see a doctor i'm like why you look strange like something is off with you but i didn't really sense it i just felt like man not the power is not there i went to the doc the doc sent me to the hospital the hospital um tested me they did all kind of things and then they thought i had a cerebral hemorrhage uh, which shocked me because I was like, of course, people have accidents. They bounce their heads. They have cerebral hemorrhage and then they die. And I'm like, why didn't you think about it? I, I even stepped into the plane because you still in the shock moment. You didn't think about stuff like that. Um, they found out I did not have a cerebral hemorrhage. So they um, released me from the hospital. I went back home. And then by Sunday, it got really weird. Like two days after I had, I lost my memory, so to say, my short-term memory. I would like turn to the cupboard, get something from the cupboard. And by the time I was at the cupboard, which is like just three feet away, I'm like, what did I want to get? And I tried to make a coffee. And that is the point I was really worried. I did not know how to make a coffee anymore. I didn't know if the milk was supposed to go in the filter or whether the coffee was supposed to go in the microwave. Like, because normally I would warm up the milk in the microwave and then I like, pour the coffee, make fresh coffee. I didn't know how to do it. And it took me like 12 or 30 minutes to, to figure out how to make my coffee in the morning. And by that point, I was, I was slightly worried. Uh, I thought, like, you just didn't sleep. Like, I was trying to, to down talk it, but it, it was weird. And then the next four days, it just got weirder and weirder. So, my um, level of um, attention, everything just dropped. The memory thing got worse. Uh, I had started having problem with reading. And then I started stuttering, like really hardcore stuttering. And I couldn't get the words. I was like, I was just like talking like that all the time when I was kind of like a little bit stressed out. So I went back to the hospital uh, because they thought I had a stroke. Like by the symptoms I had, it looked like I had a stroke um, from everything I described. So I was in the ER uh, they kept me there overnight at the CT and MRT and, and all of that. And after one day, day of testing, they said, there is everything all right with you, your brain. Everything is cool. Like you have a hemorrhage in the back, and but nothing like with your brain. Everything is working fine. But that might be a psychological um, issue. Like you might have a post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'm like, man, come on. Like <laughs> that's all you got to come up with. The, the type of person I am. I'm like, it's Friday evening. You tell me you just want to relieve me from the hospital. Like, you you find nothing. And now you're going to send me home. And I'm probably going to have a stroke tomorrow in my bed um, because I was not buying the story of the post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, because I have never experienced anything like that, it felt very real to me. Like, physically, it felt very real to me. And I come from a family where we have heart attacks and strokes all the time. So I just felt like this might be like a, like a little uh, um, attack 
and I would get the real stroke after. I was totally convinced. So I was afraid to be at home alone because of that. It's the same thing that happened to my grandmother. Like she had a stroke, nobody was around. And by the time she was found, everything was kind of over. So I was afraid of that. So I had friends coming to my place and you have been one of these friends. Like people have been coming to my place. So I was not alone 24 seven because really and truly I needed the help. It's not only about being afraid. I just needed the help. Like for example, um, like even packing the bag to go to the hospital, I couldn't do it because I didn't know what belongs into the bag. And with me being in the house, I could not prepare food for myself because I forgot the running order of how to do things. I forgot, um, I don't know how to structure the day. Like it just felt like, okay, probably you have a concussion and, but it felt more severe than that. And the people who had been here, like my, my best friends and, and other people that even have not been my friends, but they jumped in and they were like, okay, I can take care of you from 10 to 12. If somebody cannot, I wanted to have surveillance 24 seven and it actually worked out. I was so thankful for all my friends that did that. They came, they brought food, they went shopping for me, they played music for me. Um, that was a mistake at a, at a later point because at the beginning of all this, because we're talking about nine months that it took me to recover from, from like I would say recover to the state I am right now um, with, uh, I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't play bass um, because playing the bass, it sounded like I've never heard the instrument before. So for six weeks, I couldn't play the instrument. It just fucked with my head somehow, the accident. And it made that I couldn't hear my instrument the way it sounded. It sounded weird, like a, like a foreign instrument. And the same with normal music, it was just overwhelming. And that was a, um, a fact, like the music I would normally like to listen to, like Snarky Puppy or Ghost Note or stuff like that. It was too complex for my brain. I could not process the information. And that was everything that was too complex, like watching TV, too complex, listening to radio, too complex, which led to the fact, listen, leaving the house, too complex. Because I see five cars, two people walking by, a girl on the bike, too complex. I just didn't know what to do with all these bits of information. And by that, I felt like I was kind of captivated <laughs> in the house. And I, it built up to a point at which I had an anxiety to leave the house because every time I would try to do that, and I tried it um, because I wanted to buy bread, for example, because I was hungry. It was a task. It felt like, like a like a day long task, like building up, going there, going over the street, being stressed out by people talking to me, just asking me questions. I would get so frightened that my heart would pound like crazy. And as soon as I was back inside, I was like, man, it's safe here. So I kind of withdraw myself from the outside world. And I tried to stay as much as possible in my house with people who knew what my condition was. I wasn't letting people in that uh, didn't know what it was. And I didn't have phone conversations with people that didn't know what it was because the slightest things in the conversation would already have been overwhelming for me. And also I couldn't have any conversations longer than five minutes. That was another thing. So after five minutes, my brain was like, I would say I have this condition now, um, <laughs> five minutes and then the brain's buffer overflow and I have to go back sleep. Yeah, that's what it is. And like through therapy um, and resting and thinking a lot, I overcame it and um, started being reintegrated into my work, but I wasn't able to work for nine months uh, in a row. It's just crazy. How do you feel now? And in which way has your perception of things changed through it? I have understood um, that I have lived a very fast life up to the accident. Um, that is one, that's the main thing. 
like me being overwhelmed by everything I did was just an expression of I was doing too much before. And that was the main problem also of my brain not kicking in because like they had my brain tested and I was really on a forest gump level with one part of my brain, the executive part of the brain and the other part of the brain was like, um, was like where it is. And, um, I, they told me the problem is you're so accustomed to doing so many things that every time your brain wants to start doing a simple task, just like picking up a glass or something, your brain is used to doing 40, 50 things at the same time. And it, it kind of stumbles upon that. And that was exactly the type of person I was. I was always multitasking, doing three times things at a time. I would be on the phone with you and write another email and even think about something else at the same time. And understanding that that was not possible anymore brought me to like, man, you had just, it's not a lack that you can't do this no more. It's just a sign that you had been doing too much prior. You have just like made your body be able to do it, but it's not natural to do what you have been doing or going without sleep for two or three days. Like, it is not natural to do this. You have been able to do it, but this is a wake up call. So this is how I saw this entire thing as um, something that made me change fundamentals of what I'm doing. Um, even when it comes to being in contact with people that I consider to be toxic or stressful to me, um, in former times, I would have like still let them be around me and talk with them and just like not be rude because I thought it's rude if I if I don't um, communicate with them. And then I understood like in in a phase in which everything feels life threatening to you, and that is how it felt to me when I was after this accident because I had no energy for nothing. Um, you see pretty clearly what serves you good and what does not serve you at all, and it helped me make some very fundamental decisions. Uh, on things or, or people I did not want to have around me anymore or processes I didn't want to have around me no more. So I'm very thankful for it have, having uh, happened because it would have happened. It would have led to something that was probably um, not repairable anymore if I would have just proceeded that way. I used to be proud in the fact that I, I'm a good uh, multitasker. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that was able to do like 10 things at the same time. But at some point I realized for myself, and it's very subjective, but, but I realized for myself that like multitasking is one of the biggest illusions in the life of human beings. Because if you look at things closely, what you realize is, of course, you can do it if you train yourself to do it. But if you do five things at the same time, you are not really present at none of them. I very, I very much agree. I very much agree. And, and I learned a lot from you. Like I learned a lot from you how to slow down and how to be just in one thing. Because you'll be the type of person to just like, when I met you, like we're starting the base, like, put away the phone. Put away the phone. <laughs> like, what are you doing on your phone? Like, and I was like, what is this problem though? And now I understand all this. And and it's and it's not really like it's it's the part that the brain is just in steady alert when you try to multitask. And I just understand the the uh, the cure for this is not to adapt yourself to be able to manage more stress. The cure for it is to reduce the stress. And I did not understand this. This has to do with the with the fact that it's uh, perceived as something 
of of a good value to be able to 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 multitask but actually if you really pay attention to how it feels you will feel the stress which which comes from it mm -hmm. and once you feel the stress you can feel the effects which it has on mm -hmm. on your whole system from there it's not that hard to come to the conclusion that maybe there's something which could be changed and uh, this is also leading me to the next question because uh, we're in the midst of an unprecedented global pandemic mm -hmm. right now it's pretty much impossible to predict the long-term effects on economy and also on the music business in particular what do you have a take on on this matter especially in terms of economy and, and music i have to say is it really as you put it it's it's really unpredictable at the moment what's going to happen because some weeks in this entire um equation can be crucial like Just having everything under lockdown for another eight weeks can cause economies to totally crash. Uh, it's it's really insecure, and and I'm and I'm myself. I'm trying not to be distressed by the situation uh, because there is so many opinions about it out there, and I think that is the beauty of science. Also, that there is different ways and, and solutions to to this, like in economic matters, and. For everything, there can be a proof that this is the right method to do it, but you will really just see it after you have done it. So some people say, open up the economies and let the people be sick, but let the economy be okay. Others say, like, lock down the economy because the people have to be safe. And at the end, I find it very hard for myself to find uh, my standpoint in this because I'm, I just know there is not the one single right solution for every culture and every human on this, on this planet. Um, And when it comes to music, I just feel that there are some new formats created. That is one thing, like Erica Badu having <laughs> having the apocalypse now, uh, live concerts, like she sells tickets straight through her website, has several thousand people following her, uh, paying a dollar each, um, attending to her live concert. She even has merch for her virtual concert tour. So I think this is something that would not have happened if the pandemic wasn't there. Uh, people connecting and creating music together right now would not have happened uh, the way it is happening on the big, broad scale, because I'm, I'm in contact with all these people, as it is happening right now. All the shelf music stuff that you always wanted to get to, like you wanted, always wanted to do the podcast, like now the pandemic puts us all in a, in a, in a place that we can just like do that because there is the, the space. And I think especially for those who are traveling musicians and are like you are often not at home i think it's 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 a really it's a it's a very rare condition to be at home and especially for a lot of people with their families all the time and it will probably make some people really reconsider and think about like what their job normally is and if it is worth doing all all that it, that is doing and there's other things like this new music formats that will be created uh, in a world that might face the reality of this even more often probably in the, in the future. We don't know. One very simple question. <laughs> what, what does time mean to you? I can say that um, I feel time is an illusion. I feel like that. Is, is, I would have in former times always said, I don't have time. I don't have time. There is no time. But actually there is enough time to, <laughs> to do what you want to do. It's just the format of how time is and how our lives are structured with days and mornings and evenings and, and all this like dailies that we have to go through. Time feels like a like a jail. 
and it really is not a jail. It's it's a continuum that is a matter that just is beside us in our entire life, but it actually is what we make of it. And um, how we value it, I can just say I value time very, very high. Um, and I always tell people like, it's it's not about like if they, I, I hate people, for example, stealing, stealing my time. I, I don't like that because I say, man, it's my life, like it's my time, like time is a currency, so to say. Uh, and I, I, I value it very high if people give me their time and spend the time to have conversations with me. And I want people to value that the same way if I spend time with them. So that is something that is for me personally is very crucial. But for the rest, I would say time is just is out there and you can use it and don't be stressed by time and years and I should be doing this by next year or by this evening. It's what you make it in your head. Often very confused, like at the, at the end of a conversation, I would say something like, thank you for your time. And they were like, what are you talking about? Now I'm talking about like you giving me two hours of your day, yeah, of your life. And um, I'm trying not to waste it, but I, I cherish that you spend this time with me having a conversation or helping me with, with something. And I, I do this deliberately to bring attention to people that time is a value that you have. It's a... It's actually the most valuable currency we do have <laughs> yeah but uh speaking about currencies uh, in, in our society nowadays time is very much connected to money so what does money mean to you i can tell you what money means to me money is a tool to buy freedom for me nothing more i the only reason why i work the way i work and i want to have money is i give away time and freedom to earn money to do something else with it. It's just an exchange uh, medium to do something else um, with it, like to have the freedom to travel, for example, to the States and see my friends over there, to, for example, um, buy a base. And this always, like whatever I can buy with the money has to be worth the time I put into it. So that is that is the basic foundation of, um, because money by itself is never a goal. I, I have known and I know people that think money by itself is a goal but it is not a goal because it's just a means to buy something. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very um, happy to be living a good life and to have a good job. And like, even when it comes to material things, I can afford a lot of stuff, but I always say it doesn't mean anything to me. And people doubt me and they say, oh, this is easy to say you have your own house and, and all of that. And you travel the world. But at the end, it's like, I prefer to have time over money and, I do like I have all this. I think also because I'm I'm paying attention to what I'm doing for what. Like I, I, I try, try to keep the equilibrium between being happy, earning money, and doing something with the money. But if I had to choose between anything, I would always choose freedom and time over money because the money by itself. What are you going to do with money? Like <laughs> yeah. Money is nothing. <laughs> I come from, from a very economic and materialistic family, I would say. My, my parents are good people, but at the same time, they, they kind of like, they have like concentrated their entire life on accumulating money to make, to, to create a safe future for me and my sister. That's how I have to say it. And when I say safe, like it's, it's just like, they want us to have like something that we can build up upon us so we don't have to struggle the same way they had to struggle because they came from scratch and not having anything. So my mother grew up with, 
14 siblings and no shoes, so to say. I'm sleeping on a hay bed. And my father had to take, uh, like, my, my grandparents were poor like that, but they came from a working society, uh, society. My mother had four years of school education, and my grandfather, like, four, like he, he left school with 14. Like, it's, I come from a simple family, but what they have inhabited, incorporated, like, a habit of earning money and keeping money and doing taxes and doing all these things. And my parents, for example, don't understand why I travel a lot because they think this is a waste of money. Like they, every time I fly somewhere, they say like, oh, you're wasting money. Like you could have bought a car. You and I'm like, what the fuck am I gonna do with this stuff? Like when I travel, this is memories. And this, I learn things that are so much more valuable than anything else I could have done with the money and really um, have bought and put somewhere or put in the bank. So I think my favorite thing to spend money on is traveling because it enriches my life so much. And the second favorite thing is music, which also is traveling or buying music or something that is related to music, because these things just mean a lot to me. And that's what the money is for, if you ask me. You have the money to do the stuff that, that fills your heart with joy. The stress I have in my life actually comes from material goods, and it comes from money. Like, so if I look at my life right now in this very moment, and yesterday I had a very bad day because I, I made this, I looked at what my stress in my life is and everything that is stressful came from the material things and I, I, that I have accumulated in order to have less stress, they actually cause more stress. So I'm, I'm not trying to say like you should not accumulate anything and I'm happy I have, it gives me a certain form of freedom also to know I have something to fall back on and it gives me a freedom to decide but on the other side, it comes with responsibility. It comes with doing, like in Germany, going with taxes. It comes with having to go to court, having to fight against restrictions. And, and all this is stress that I think we don't need like that. Like it's, it's unnecessary and it's harmful to our souls to have to deal with that. And I'm trying, I'm striving to be less stressed and have less of things to do with that and go, go more for directly for what makes me happy. If you try and think about the, your future. Do you have particular dreams, wishes, ideas? I have to say just like, because today is the day it is and having had the bad day I had yesterday, um, I just have to say what I wish for myself personally and I know it's going to happen <clears throat> is to overcome all the disagreements I'm having with, uh, with people in court right now and that are over money and, and stuff where I'm, I feel myself to be the victim of people that just want to harm me. That is something that I would really wish for myself and I know it's going to happen. It just might take some more years because I know it's just holding me back from really being free and, and joyous. That's one thing. The second thing is I really do want to figure out a way how to um, get myself involved more into anything that is related with the music business so I can actually not have, I don't have to do this in my spare time and see this as a hobby, but make it the thing that I really live for because I, I do this anyways i'm just living two lives parallel at the moment uh the third thing is i'm i'm very much looking forward to like um having um like for my personal life like getting back into like a, a partnership with somebody like having somebody in my life that, that understands me and I'm, i'm building this right now so i'm I'm hoping that this is this is going to turn out the way I, I hope it, it it has begun or it is ongoing the past month. 
um, because it's just a good feeling to know that there is at least one other person in this on this planet that understands you and cares about you. I know there's a lot of other people like you, Armin, but it's just a different thing if, if it is like a, like a partner. So that's for my personal life. I, I just want to stay like in a place in which I'm unstressed and healthy. That that is one thing, and generally, like for society and everybody, I just hope that this very current situation we're in will have an impact on how society builds itself over the next years and that we can see the fruit of this in, I don't know, four, five, six years of people having re-evaluated what is of value really and not what is of monetary value, but what is of value, like having connections, being at peace, being healthy, taking care of others, making smart decisions, not only on a, from an egoistic perspective of yourself, but um, perspective for everybody. So I just hope, I always have these wishes for society and I hope that this is going, going to come, uh, like to 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 become a reality. That it just is not like something that it gets lost, but really changes the foundation of how we think. Many of us are now in the position to be able to make contributions to that cause. Mm -hmm. And on the personal matters, I wish you best of luck <laughs> for things to work out how how you wish them to. And Thank as you. we are now, yeah, you're welcome. And as we are now approaching the end of our conversation today, of course, the guest shall have the final say. So is there something you want to share with our listeners? I, I can just say the best thing you can do in life is find your place of happiness. I would like to say a huge thank you for taking the time to be my guest today. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Who knows, maybe we do it uh, again like three years from now and see what has happened in the, awesome. in the meanwhile. All right. Yeah. Thank you and have a nice day today. Thank you for having me. Have a good day too. Thank you for listening to Talking Spirits Podcast, episode number four with Martina Schiffer-Gottfried and Armin Alic please visit www.talkingspiritspodcast.com for the latest news and feel free to contact me if you have any questions, ideas or if you would like to be a part of the show. On the homepage you are also able to find subscription links to different destinations and I'm very happy about new subscriptions, likes, comments and shares. Next Friday my guest is the Yugoslavian-born and Germany-based radio host, musician, writer and stand-up comedian Danko Dabrenovic. The episode with Danko will be one in German language. Thanks a lot for tuning in to the Talking Spirits podcast. Stay healthy and see you around. Bye. <laughs>